Welcome to One Man's Opinion, brought to you by the Elite Fantasy, Fantasy Guru, and EliteSportsBetting.com. And now, here's your host, Jeff Manns. All right, welcome in, everybody. Another edition of One Man's Opinion, the podcast that's sweeping the nation. Always free, always uncensored. I'm your host, Jeff Manns. You can find my work over at EliteFantasy.com, FantasyGuru.com, Elite Sports Betting. Got a poker club going on over there folks during this quarantine follow me on twitter at jeff underscore mans the jeff mans on facebook instagram snapchat my new favorite tiktok you want to see me singing and dancing and doing whatever the hell i do uh tiktok the jeff mans right there today i have a very special guest and by special means we need to talk in slow monotone soothing tones with him <laughs> in words it's my good buddy from footballdiards.com the legendary Bob Harris. What's up, Mr. Harris? Well, uh, you know, the usual um, or the unusual, however you want to look at it. Uh, TikTok. Yes. Come on, man. Come yeah. on. No, you're, you're out on TikTok. You're not going to go there yet, huh? I don't, you know, I see things, uh, you know, I'm still kind of working my way through Snapchat. <laughs> and now I see TikToks within my Snapchat yeah. and on my Instagram. And yeah. it's all very confusing to the old people. I know, but that one thing I know about you uh, as an old man and me as an old man, we adapt. I remember a time when yeah, Twitter Twitter was a wild thing. And I don't think anybody adapts as well as you do. Like you said, you are way out and ahead of Instagram and Snapchat, way beyond me. I skip those things. I'm so old. Like I can't, I basically, <laughs> if I'm running a mile, I just like cut out. I'm the guy who took the subway through the marathon to the, to the very end. <laughs> That's why I hopped on the TikTok thing. But, Bob Harris, how are you, my friend? This is a weird time in our lives, and as old as we may be, I don't think we've ever been through a quarantine. Have you? Uh, No. Well, so, yes and no. I mean, I've been self-quarantining now. I've been using the same lame joke for the last week, so I'll use them for you, too. I don't want to cut you out. Uh, You know, 27 (laughs) years of social distancing experience finally paying off for me. Um, All those reps. Right. It just, it, for you know, and I, I, I hate joking about it because it's such a real thing and it's such a pressure and, and, you know, for all the wrong reasons for so many people. But, you know, my life is pretty much unchanged because of it. I've been having groceries delivered or brought to me or, you know, pick up his stores forever. And, and, you know, some of the things like that, that people are just now kind of getting in tune with, I've been doing for a while. So um, it is kind of, you know, a convenience of, of you know, being, kind of in the business we're in and kind of doing the things, you know, the, the amount of time it takes it that, you know, I've been kind of doing this for a while, working at home primarily. And, uh, and it just, it, it hasn't been as noticeable for me. I mean, I see it, you know, I go for a walk every day. I see it on the streets. I can see there's no cars and, you know, people are more polite and friendlier. I see things oh, out really? there, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't like, noticed that part. I was at the grocery store yesterday. I, I didn't notice. I had a guy so sidle up on me. I, I was in the chip aisle. A guy came literally right into my space. And I'm like, are you insane? I, I looked at the guy like, are you insa- an insane person right now? Like, can you wait? I'm picking out one bag of Doritos. I right. take- well, I, 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 and I think that's part of it, though. Since I'm so used to not going, I don't really go much. And, and I, you know, I, I think, like, you know, just out walking on the, you know, the walking trails and stuff, people are – you know, moving aside, giving a wide berth. Uh, and That's although cool. sometimes they do that with me anyway, because I'm kind of creepy <laughs> and old and 
And so, but on really when you're out walking, I've been telling you that for years. But you know, it's it's kind of odd for I mean, for so many people out there, there's so many pressures that some of these people that are now quarantining are under. Um, you know that 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 I worry about people. You know, you're you're suddenly out of your environment. You're at home. You're surrounded by people that you know, although you love them, you're not used to being confined with them for extended periods of time. And there's all kinds of different pressures being. Uh, imposed on all these people, whether it's kids not being at school, whether it's moms and dads, you know, being, you know, teaching their kids and just, you know, and then financial concerns that go with that. So there's a hell of a lot going on, a lot of moving pieces here. I would say the good news is it seems to move pretty fast and and new developments, you know, are constantly coming along. So I'm hoping we work our way through this and, you know, get to the get to a better spot in pretty short order. I think, uh, you know, one of the things I keep thinking about with all of this is, and something that seems to not really be factored in, you know, I think uh, subconsciously we all do, but the, the level of innovation that comes up when every smart person in America is working on a sim- on the same problem, yeah. um, things tend to get solved pretty quickly. And yeah. I think we're seeing, you know, signs of that now. I, I, you know, and it's such a good segue for what I want to talk about on this show. This is episode 11 of One Man's Opinion. Folks, tell a friend, uh, download, subscribe, leave your comments, positive and negative. We definitely appreciate all of them. What I want to get into is just that. I, and I think that you're the perfect guest for this. I notice it in myself, and you and I have talked on and off air in, in our years together, uh, in that, uh, you know, you don't really know what you're made of until you're pushed to the brink, until you're pushed to the wall, until you're forced to do it. And I think that's so true right now where you're seeing companies make ventilators and come up with vaccines. And all of a sudden they're like, boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah, we got this. And you really see the power of people and power of perseverance. Such an amazing thing to watch. I think you're right. It's on full display right in front of us. During this quarantine time, we're going to talk some football for sure with Bob Harris uh, today we are going to get into some background stuff, how we got started, you know, why we are. The, somebody asked on Twitter at football diehard for Bob Harris at Jeff underscore man's for me. Why are you the way that you are? Well, you're going to get that answer to that question, my friend, on this episode. So first of all, uh, with the quarantine stuff, all we're talking about, Bob, is NFL, how effective will the NFL be? Is it? We see the NFL draft is coming up. We're recording this before the draft, everybody. So right. if we get anything wrong, don't worry about it. Um, but the draft's going to be a virtual draft. Everybody, people are going to be at their homes and through Skype and Zoom and all these different uh, methodologies like Bob was talking about. That's how we're going to hold the NFL draft. Um, but as far as the season, training camp, any of that, how affected, if at all, do you think the NFL is going to be? Um, I mean, clearly they'll, you know, they'll be affected like all of us are affected. Um, there are a couple of things in, uh, you know, it's funny because I was uh, on another podcast earlier and I like what? to stipulate. You cheap I, bastard. I did one last night. I was on a number. I've been, I get on some of these sometimes. Um, people get <laughs> you, desperate. As you, you, well get around. you get around. You get around. It's hard to get cast. But I'd like to stipulate before I go into my next tirade that I am neither a doctor nor a scientist. Um. But, but I am paying attention and, and I, I connect dots. And one of the things that, you know, has been helpful with my job over 25 plus years is, you know, you get really good at listening to what people say and then seeing how and measuring that against what happens over the course of periods of time. 
And it's very important for me in fantasy, you know, to understand how that works. So as I see how the trajectory of things are going here, the thing that strikes me about the NFL is they've been dead set to play football from minute one, right? And I mean, they've seen other sports leagues canceling their seasons or suspending them. And we're starting to hear a little talk now, the NBA looking at things. And one of the things I've been talking about for the last week or so is this ability to test uh, using the serology tests. And, yeah. and, and and this is one of the things I talk about ingenuity. I, I think, And again, I'm sure doctors and scientists have known this for quite some time, but I was blissfully unaware of such a thing like, what, three weeks ago? That the, and, and when I started hearing about it, it was very abstract and I wasn't really sure what it was. And now here we are, literally three weeks later, they're talking about putting it, it's out, it's approved yep. by the FDA, and it's being scaled. Right. So I've thought all along the NFL, no, nothing is going to happen until we can test people and understand who has it, who has it, doesn't have it, who can get it, who's not going to get it. And the NFL, if you look at all the possible scenarios and I mean, you know, you've seen them all out there like I have. I mean, all the way up to Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk suggesting they build a compound in the middle of nowhere, move everyone out there and play games. Oh. And, and I think, you know, the thing that's still the key to all that, and, and, and I, the Adam Schefter had the medical director of the NFL PA on about a week ago, I guess, before we're recording this. And he said something that made me think of the same thing. And basically his feeling was, yeah, we could have training camps as long as we can test, right? So mm-hmm. here we are three weeks into this thing, basically, since I started hearing about it, and we're already talking about getting it. It's already out there. People are getting these tests. And they're talking about scaling it up. So, and the NBA is now talking about resuming their season based on that. So we're five months away from the NFL season as we speak. I feel like between innovations and advances and just the natural course of things, there's going to be football. The, 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 the difficulties will be more for those of us who want to try to figure out what the hell is going to happen when they kick off the football, right? And, and assuming they do. And look, I'm not saying there's going to be people in stands because i don't think that's realistic right i just don't but yeah. we're talking we're talking about a league where 55 percent of the revenue comes from television and we're talking about a country that right now i mean i turn on espn and i see endless rounds of wrestlemania and stuff right <laughs> with all due respect uh, you know we're hungry for sports and so and and for diversion right and, and and you know and i just i mean we're talking at a time when people are dying you know at a, an alarming pace and i realize all that so we're not, we're not, you know, that's not my, my lane to work in. I understand it's happening. It's horrible. I feel miserable about it, but I'm, I'm here to provide a diversion and, and, uh, and I'm an optimistic person. So when I look at this situation, I see the possibilities more so than I see the, we can't. Yeah. And I see a league in the NFL that seems dead set on working all yeah. the possibilities to get on the field. NFL is a freight train that's not going to be slowed down by almost anything. Now that's not to say they can't do the right thing, but it just so happens. I mean, you want to talk about how fortunate the national football league is. It's the biggest sport on earth. Everyone knows it's the biggest league league in the world, really Um, sports league, at least with, um, and then, you know, just the timing by late July when people, when teams are going to training camp, well, that's kind of where they're, prognosticating the the virus sort of run its course like you said the innovation by that time we should have the ability to test and and all that good stuff it kind of lines up and they're very lucky in that way and so they're not slowing it down i will never apologize and people 
people have come at me a little bit. Well, how can you sell sports and fantasy sports and do this during this time? I said, listen, people, um, the world, there's businesses and people need distractions. And um, that's what we're here for normally. I, I take there's no difference now than normally, uh, realistically, because I think people, all of us use fantasy sports specifically um, to kind of get out of the real life element, you know, to take our minds off that commute to work, to take our minds off of, uh, you know, bad situations, maybe at home or whatever, and try to make a winner out of us in fantasy sports. So uh, there you go. I'm kind of, I'm right along with you. I don't think the NFL slowing down anytime soon, provided everything does work out. And of right. course, Bob and I uh, hope and pray that it <clears> really, really does. I want to get into uh, the history, Bob Harris, your history. It's long. It's, uh, you know, you were writing yeah. dinosaurs to school back in the day. But one of the things that always fascinates me, well, fascinates me, for one, you you kind of grew up in my backyard in a way, my new backyard. I moved here. You're from here. You obviously moved around a little bit as well. Talk a little bit about growing up, Bob Harris, and sort of what your interests were. Were you always into football? Were you football diehard back at age seven, eight, nine? Uh, you know, music's a passion of your life, I know. Has it always been that way? Yeah, so football was something I started playing when I was eight, uh, Pop Warner. Uh, was you know my dad loved football. We watched football together as I was a young child, and you know, and just I knew he played football. What was your team? You know, Who was your team? I was in Arizona. I, and they didn't have a team. Right. I had no team, and it was it's a funny thing because as you know in Arizona, everyone comes from somewhere else. I was Everybody. native. I was born in Tucson, Arizona, yeah. and so all my friends showed up. You know, as you're growing yeah. up, you know, oh my team's the Jets. Oh my team's the Chiefs. Oh. I don't have one, right? And I never, I didn't have one. I, I made a, a feeble effort uh, yeah, when the Seahawks and Bucks uh, came into the league. Uh, when I was in high school, oh, nice. I tossed a coin and I got the Seahawks. Much really? To my good fortune. Yeah. And so I was a Seahawk. I was kind of, you know, was a foe. I guess, you know, I, I picked the team. But, you know, to say my heart was really in it, that I was going to bleed that, you know, Seahawk blue or aquamarine or whatever that was, um, <laughs> was, was never going to happen. I just, you know, I didn't have that part. And I think, you know, as I look back on it now, I think that was a real benefit once I started playing fantasy football in 1986 was that I didn't have any allegiances. And I think we've all learned over time that those are not good for you, but early on when you know you first started playing i mean you know it wasn't unusual to see a guy with every chief on his roster hell it's not unusual when we do the uh allison chains draft for serious when duff mckagan is drafting seattle's kicker in round two right i mean it's <laughs> you know we all know the dangers of being you know being a homer in, in fantasy so i don't have that and, and i get asked the question a lot by just people who talk to you and say oh what do you do for a living here tell oh well what's your favorite chief Right. <laughs> I just got to say, my favorite team is the least complicated. <laughs> <laughs> nice, and, nice. And it's like, it's like and you try to explain, it's like asking a dishwasher what your favorite dish is. It's the cleanest <laughs> dish. The one I don't have to scrub all damn day. A, a dishwasher. Right? So, that, right. What so, a great metaphor that one is. That's a good comparison. Right. But, so I, I did play as a, I did play, you know, as a child all the way yeah. through into, into college. I was hurt early on in college and quit playing and, you know, kind of let the, a little bit of a void 
And mm-hmm. uh, one I filled not necessarily with savory good times. I'm sure we'll discuss some of that. Um, <laughs> but, but music was part of that. You're right. And, and I've long been into music. I started playing drums when I was uh, 10 years old. And, uh, uh, yeah. and I think uh, at some point in the early 70s, I uh, came across uh, Black Sabbath's first album. And it was all over. It, it was, was all over. Was was that War? What was the first album? I'm trying to think. It was Black Sabbath. It was, was self self-titled. Yeah. And a great album. And some of the scariest. The song Black Sabbath was a horrifying, you know, song. And I mean, just yeah. mesmerizing to me. And uh, you know, not the least of you know, the 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 greatness of it was the fact that it horrified my parents as much as it horrified me, if not more. And so that was pretty much the goal you know, from then on was what will my parents hate the most. Right. Um, but, you know, that that entire, it was a great album, uh, some really super good songs uh, on the, uh, that I loved on a Black Sabbath, The Wizard, uh, NIB. Uh, you NIB, know, when you're, yeah. Yeah, you're hearing, you know, the my, my name is Lucifer, please take my hand. That's mm-hmm. enough to get your, your record player shut down, by golly. <laughs> or be some regulating it. on that. And Bob's so, uh, Bob's not a joke either, folks. Like with uh, playing music, a very a di- damn good drummer. I pl- I played music. Uh, I still have my GNL SP2 here, right alongside me. Well, it's actually on the other side of the room, but uh, played bass growing up as well. And I, I remember we were at the Guru John Hansen's house, I believe. Was that, weren't you knocking yeah. out the drums? Wasn't that the yeah, time? Yeah. All of a sudden you're, I'm like, oh, damn. I mean, there's a lot of people. Like I talk about playing guitar and playing bass and stuff. I stink. I'm like legitimately atrocious. Bob Harris talks about it. You think, all right, yeah, maybe, but Bob's pretty damn good. Were you in bands? Did you? Yeah, I, mean, I, was, you- I was in bands that, you know, played local, you know, establishments and whatnot, a variety of things. And, uh, and over time, I too, I can play guitar about the same as you can, probably not as good as you play bass, but probably mm-hmm. about as good as you play. Because you sit around in bands and like everyone's, you know, I mean, it's hard. some of it just Doing rubs off on you, right? Yeah, yeah. You're sitting there in a band room for, you know, 12 hours a day and, <laughs> you know, you're picking up pieces of songs. So I, I could struggle along reasonably well on guitar uh, and things like that. And, and look, I'm a huge fan of heavy metal. I have been from that Sabbath. It's funny. Uh, you know, some of the connections that Sirius allows us to have with some of these people who are in the music world and also play fantasy football. Scott Ian from Anthrax, you know, I just yeah. read, you know, when I read his book, it was like the story of my life almost in terms of music. The same kind of uh, progression of, you know, that first Sabbath, you hear that and then you're looking around and then, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you got Kiss Alive and that's <laughs> enough to drive everyone crazy. I mean, it just was a, a, a great era. And I know, you know, there were other bands I love the Who, uh, because Keith Moon, Keith Moon is one of the reasons oh, I want to start playing the drums. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and so I'm the 13-year-old kid in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, <laughs> you cannot imagine how hard it was to find a double kick premier made oh. in England drum set, but I did. And did. Uh, oh, wow. yeah, I, that my one of my early kits was a was a premier uh, double kick, double uh, the whole nine yards. So. Uh, I was uh, I was going crazy at an early age and probably uh, not quite able to imitate Keith Moon's style because to this day nobody is. Um, truly, I mean, uh, yeah. I, and to be fair, I don't think he ever played a song the same more than once. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's amazing. And, uh, yeah. So, 
but yeah, so music always has been a big part. And back when, you know, we came on serious, you know, one of the things when we were talking to Steve Cohen and Matt Deutsch, you know, well, what do you, what do you need? And, and Mike Dempsey and I were talking about it and the, the Dempsey is I said, well, we got to play my music. And, Whoa. uh, and that was but, an easy hurdle to overcome, an easy obstacle to overcome. They were quite agreeable about that because, you know, like you, I work for free. So, yeah. um, you know, if all they got to do is play your music, it's not that hard. Not that bad of a, a suggestion there as well. Wait, you do this for free? Wait, what are you talking about? I, I have no idea. The, um, one of the, you know, you tapped into something so interesting there with the, uh, when you're in a band and band practice. I, and yeah. I remember, you know, sitting around for hours and hours. Like you said, yes. I, I was flashing back right into you, you you just pick up certain things and i i remember so many times you know play it like this because when you're sitting here and you have your part you want i've been in so many bands that you just want you know you, you want them to hold a note a little bit longer you want them to hit go to the hi-hat a little bit longer during this part softer you mm-hmm. only, like it, it's amazing those little elements. I remember sitting. I don't think I've been to a band practice or a jam session in my life where I haven't secretly, in my innards of my mind, said, "No, it should be like this. It should be like this." You know, I, you know, whether I say vocally or not, that's just that's. A- if if anyone has been in a hard rock band at any course in the last thirty years or so, mm-hmm. you've sat there doing the immigrant song, and when the lyric <laughs> yes. hits, uh, what is it? Uh, you better stop and rebuild all your roots. Just stop. Stop! We gotta stop. I mean, Led Zeppelin did, but we are because right. that's gonna make us a little bit cooler. I mean, that's a <laughs> so true. God, that's good. I like it, man. So, I mean, you're a football fan, you're a music fan. You mentioned uh, was it music that you know you started getting to be a rebellious teenager? When did you start like rebelling? Was it that first Black Sabbath album? Was the music finding you or you finding the music? And like, what led to the Bob Harris, the teenage years? What were those like? And, you know, there's some rebellion there. What led to that? Well, what led to that is the thing that leads to everything that I've done and everything I still do and how I still do everything. I have no moderation gear. Yeah. I don't know how to do with something a little. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, the dabbling with liquor and as a teenager, you know, I mean, all these things, the, uh, the drugs, all of it was there was there's just no moderation gear. And so you're out there doing things. And and I mean, if someone was going to chug a beer, I was going to chug five. If, you right. know? And, and I mean, it's just, you know, that's how I am. And, I, and I'm still that way today. And I've just learned over the years, you know, and we can go through the whole litany. But I mean, I have quit and and transformed from a number of things, including, you know, a 400 pound pile of goo. You know, (laughs) you know, I mean, I just there there are periods where I'll go through and do things and I am phenomenal at quitting things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also phenomenal at sticking with them. And I mean, it's just and it's all about that moderation thing. Right. Right. So once I decide like, okay, I've been doing this, whether it's good for me or bad for me, you know, it just when I say that's it, that's it. I'm going to do it. There's nothing is going to stop me from doing that except me. I have to decide these things. I've seen you do it. Like I've personally witnessed you transform and did lots of different things, shakes and diets and, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, just like, just uh, amazingly uh, as well. What, you know, going back to sort of the the teenager, the rebellious years or whatever, what was like, you you mentioned alcohol and some drugs and stuff like that. I, I was way into that. I've talked about this on this podcast as well. 
uh, you know, I, I think I told the story a few episodes ago. My buddy Cookie, who was, by the way, the greatest guitarist and probably greatest lead vocalist I've ever heard in my life, um, um, I saw, I witnessed, I was standing by him as he dried out from heroin. It was the most eye-opening experience I've ever been through or will ever go through and something that's kind of scared me straight in a lot of ways. What was your routine back then? Like, what, what were you getting yourself into? What was your drug or alcohol of choice? What, what, like, what were those choices you made? <clears throat> All of them. Um, <laughs> Everything. Except heroin. Except heroin. Because, you know, there's always at some point there's something in me that I have. I'm just smart enough to know uh, not to Stop. kill myself. And, and, and right. again, knowing that I don't have a moderation gear. If I got into something like that, I mean, not to say the things I weren't into, you know, the cocaine, the methamphetamines, whatever it was, mm -hmm. uh, was bad enough. And there were some pretty dark periods where I was running with some pretty, pretty, pretty bleak characters, right? And and right. you know the, the you know the thing that saved me was uh, I was fairly smart and somehow had not destroyed all my brain cells and was able to at least you know navigate some pretty murky waters. I think a lot of those experiences that I had. Um, are things that I fall back on to this day as I, you know, I mean, look, character, you know, and understanding human nature, uh, that's a great school for that, right? The, the, the seedy underbelly of life. Uh, and, and look, it's nothing new. I mean, you know, open your Bible and people are getting killed on page three and, right. you know, open your Shakespeare and, you know, I mean, this is page one. human nature has been right. Human nature has been a pretty constant thing. And, and it's only reinforced with your experiences by hanging out with shady people. And by shady, I'm being way, way generous, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I just, I feel like, you know, if, if you can escape that, if you can survive that and escape it, mm -hmm. uh, you're armed with a really good set of skills to move on. If you've retained some sense of uh, ability to use your brain, and you're, you know, you're determined to move forward and change yourself, you're armed with a pretty good skill set to move ahead in pretty much anything you do. Because understanding human nature is the key to success in almost everything. I, I hate to say this, but it's really the truth. And I don't mean disrespect to other people, but I, I have a hard time believing other people's bullshit who haven't gone through something of their own. You know, I, I don't know if it's just my upbringing, my history, my life personally, and all the things I've experienced and, like you said, made conscious and unconscious decisions to stay away from them and avoid, the people that just have always run clean and always just have, don't have any, any, I hate to say it, but negatives to draw from, those people, I don't know if it's intimidate me or something that makes me just not trust them or believe in them. Do you right. identify with that at all, or or or? Well, I, I try to cut. I try to cut everyone some slack. Everyone has their own experiences. Sure. I, you know, I fall back on mine, and I don't want to diminish other people's. But I do think that you know, there's, you know, we all see people out there. Look, you can. It's just like in our business, right? People can tell you're not going to fool anybody. Right. And and I feel like I'm not going to get fooled that much, just as a general rule of thumb in life, because I've kind of seen pretty much uh, run the entire gamut of, of types of people, uh, types of horrors that people will subject each other to uh, for very little gain. I mean, <laughs> literally no gain almost at all. And, and so you apply those lessons that you've learned, you know, to, to the things you're doing now. And it's very helpful. And I think people that haven't benefited 
from that wide range of uh, of uh, life experiences, maybe they're missing out on some of that, and they don't maybe don't have that little bit, you know. So yeah. I, I always think about a scene in The Sopranos uh, <laughs> that it kind of sums up a lot of things. Is you know Tony Soprano is uh, on uh, you know sitting with a guy, and they're out on his back porch, and the feds come running up from out of the woods, right? And, right. You know, shotgun stuff. And Tony sees him just like a split second early and he's yeah. moving, yeah. right? And he gets away because, I mean, and that's the difference, right? You see something and you don't just sit there and go, wow, something's happening. You sit there and you say, wow, I got to go, right? right? And so I think these are the kind, you know, and I, I mean, and it can be shades of just that simple. And, and, I, and I don't know if that's a great example of it, but it's one that always comes to my yeah. mind when you see it. You know, I think the thing that you learn, that I've learned, and I think the best lesson that I've ever learned is know when you're caught, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, there comes <laughs> a point where, man, you're just caught. Figure it out then, but don't sit there and argue that you're not caught. Don't, you know, you right. know flee, accept, whatever you have to do. Uh, start working it from a different angle than, no, I'm not. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I mean, your word and, you know, the honor system, if you will, and other people believe your bullshit, you're lying to people, but ultimately you're really lying to yourself. And I grew up with a yes. very un unsavory crowd that, like you said, it's always somebody else's fault. And I, and I talked about it on a couple of podcasts ago, Bob, where I, and I mentioned moments where, you know, I'm fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I was getting into hallucinogenic drugs that were dropping acid uh, on the bridges at Route 53, and I'm climbing up where traffic is whizzing by at 60 miles an hour, and I'm 30 feet above on concrete with no barrier or another. I mean, I could have slipped off. I could have fell. I, and that was the crowd I was running with at the time. And like you said, it, I look back, and what happened to some of these guys, and they're, uh, a couple right. of them are no longer right. here. A couple of them have spent time in, in prison, and I think, holy shit, that could have been, it should have been me. Fortunately, right. like one of the worst things ever happened, my dad losing his job, my brother kind of bailing us out, moved us, moved in with us, moved us to a different part of town. That move and just moving me from one set of people to another saved my life. And I have no doubt about right. that. Right, right. Those are the kind of decisions, you know, I don't want to, you know, I mean, I don't want to bore people with all the details and stuff, but I can, you know, one of the turning points of my life, one of the things I look back on and say, wow. Uh, I woke up one night in my bed and a fellow was standing over me and, you know, had some pretty pointed questions for me uh, that he wanted to get answers to. That fellow was executed about two years ago. I think one of the last people executed in Arizona, Robert Jones. Uh, Red. And, yeah. uh, and uh, I believe he killed like seven people for about a buck and a half uh, Rolex wash and a Porsche. So, um, so, so, I mean, you look back at these moments and you think, wow, you know, this is, you know, how you handle yourself in those kind of circumstances are the things you run across now uh, seem a lot less complicated when you've been through some situations that are way more complicated. Yeah, I've had, uh, I'm going to do an episode coming up soon. It's, I already know, I know the topic. It's going to be called Three Guns. And it's three guns. I've had three times. I've had guns pointed at me, one to my head. And, and how it changed and it sent me, you know, a wake-up call and how I avoided any further damage to it is through nothing. It's pretty shocking, really. And uh, luck played into it. Friendship, people that I surrounded myself played into that as well. But, you know, those are real-life situations. So was that 
was that moment you mentioned the Robert Jones thing? Was that where you decided ultimately, like you made that decision? You're turning the corner. You're going to get for what? Where did it? Where did it bottom out for you? Like before um, you so, decided to make a change, or was it just a gradual thing? It was so you know I had already found you know in this thing called fantasy football all the time, and I was just kind of getting into that and kind of realizing maybe I could turn this into a business. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe this is, you know, maybe there's things in life other than, you know, running around with this horrible crowd, feeling like I was a big deal when really I wasn't. I was just fortunate to not be dead. Right. And so right. I think, you know, I think as I kind of went in, but I, I mean, it was, you know, there was a long period of, you know, trying to claw my way into the fantasy football world where I was convinced that this was something that was going to be so huge that it was my only ticket out. And I clung to that probably way longer than I had any business clinging to it, to the point where, you know, friends, family, and people just thought I was plumb loco. And I mean, sure. it came to the point where I was living in my grandma's room, in a room in my grandma's house, mm-hmm. trying to make this business work. And I was, you know, and, uh, and, and I can remember my grandma saying, man, can't keep doing this. You got to go. Right. And, and, and at that point, you know, and that's when. Uh, even How old were you at the time? How old were you at that time? Like, what was that? The 1998. So I was about what? Huh? I was pushing 40. Yeah. All right. Right. So, right. you know, I ground through my 30s mostly, you know, kind of, uh, kind of being a skull, you know, the skulldudgery plus the fantasy. But man, I was convinced the fantasy was away. And so uh, I kind of cleaned up by about then. And I was really focused on making the fantasy football work, cool. you know, making it, making it a thing. And uh, and putting all my time, effort, and energy into it, uh, and obviously making zero money at it, which was pretty much the you know the story oh, of yeah. that entire time. Other than you know there was a period where I had a nine hundred number where I would uh, get on CompuServe and read the box scores. Oh, I uh, thought you were doing into, other things. No, I would read the box scores. I thought you just talked uh, dirty to. No, I well I did that too. No. Okay, okay, I, I was gonna say. Too. I hope but so. it was amazing. <laughs> you know, you remember back in the early '90s when people oh, yeah. could only get there. You know, you you the only scoring system out there was the USA Today was how everyone did their scoring, yep. and I gave people a way to do that. You know, eight hours before the USA Today came out, and you know how people are the same as they are now. I mean, you give yeah. people that eight-hour edge, they'll get it. So I kind of got by on that for a while, but then those kind of went out of fashion, and the information became more readily available. So. I was just kind of, you know, straggling along trying to turn this into something that would make me enough money to let me keep doing it. So you're doing, you, you said 86, 1986 is your first fantasy football league. Yeah. Now, where were you at that point? Like when you discovered it, how did you happen upon fantasy football? Who turned you on to it? You know, what, what were those circumstances and where, you know, what were you doing? Playing music at that time? What were you up to? I was, I was like just out. I was, so I was, I had a job. I, I was kind of working in engineering at the time and, uh, and, uh, doing, you know, not playing as much music then more trying to get by and make enough money to get high or get drunk or whatever and, uh, doing okay. But a buddy of mine also in the engineering field, uh, came back from San Diego in 1986. We had a small group of friends, you know, like everyone does. And, yeah. and he came back, his name was Ron Benglin. Oh. And uh, still a friend to this day, and uh, awesome. as, as most of the guys in that league are. And so uh, he just came back from San Diego, uh, stitches and uh, doing some architecture work there. And he said, "You guys, I got this thing. You're not oh. gonna believe this." <laughs> <laughs> and 
And the next thing you know, it's fantasy football. Let's go. And we and we didn't believe it. And it was the most amazing thing as, uh, you know, you're watching Dan Marino propel your team to greatness and back in the day. So um, it was just it was an amazing thing. But is as soon as I started playing it, uh, the first thing that struck me was we don't know how we don't know enough to do this right. We don't have enough information. Right. right? We're, I mean, there's 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 more to be had here. And that kind of, you know, was a thing. But uh, as I kind of transitioned into, uh, you know, was still working the engineering, but also took up graphic design, which, you know, was something that was kind of coming in desktop publishing uh, yeah. at that point in time. And uh, and I was pretty good at that. I've always been a pretty good artist. I guess we should throw that out there, too. I very, you know, people who knew me back in the day will tell you I was quite the uh cartoonist and 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 i had a player for artwork so and, and i drew endlessly as a child i mean i i think i was the exact opposite i was horrific in art class like to the point that i remember they tried to put me in special ed i think it was third grade because i did a stick i drew a belly button on a stick figure and this this kind of fucked my whole art teacher's mind up like completely right. blew her out of the water to the point that i had to sit down and go through all these testing and they realized oh shit you know he's not special ed anything like that uh, barely but no um you know yeah, i was I bad i was bad at art. i figured if i always thought if i was good at art all i would ever do is draw like really indecent drawings of i art. did a lot of that a lot of that inappropriate you, things. you know and a lot of inappropriate things, a lot of rock and roll related things, music related things, guys playing instruments. If, if you went to my Facebook right now and scrolled Ooh. to the bottom of my photos, I think one of my good friends posted some of those old pictures that I used to draw. You'll see some of those floating around there. So, you know, that was a big deal. But then I got it. So, you know, kind of naturally over time, I, I was working and when I was doing the engineering kind of stuff, a lot of what I was doing was writing manuals and instructions and things like that because I had kind of a little bit of a flair for you know, or an ability at least to communicate ideas. And I think that's, you know, you can kind of see where that went to. Um, but I kind of put that together with the artwork and kind of was doing graphic design. So at some point in the, you know, as we hit into the 90s, I started putting out a little weekly newsletter uh, for my league. And yeah. that league was called the Tucson Fantasy League. And so the thing I made was called the TFL Report. Yes. Uh, and and that eventually became the business that I oh, started the TFL Report. We called it the Fantasy League Report when we right. kind of went national with it uh, in 1993. But that was kind of the genesis of all that was just, you know, you're playing a game and you realize, man, this is the last thing we see is Wednesday's USA Today injury report, uh -huh. right? And, and yeah. the next thing you see is, why is my guy not playing on Sunday while you're watching the games? And so... I just knew there was a big gap in information. And so my goal in life became to fill that gap and still is to some degree, right? I mean, that's still part of the part of the chase. But there were periods of time where we were doing that at a level. And when I say we, it was, you know, I had some friends, Paul Shulman, Brian Francisco, who passed away just this last year, who was like a whiz of statistics, yeah. did everything with a pencil and paper. You always, we all had that one friend who would yeah. sit there and eat out these copious yep. sheets at his funeral. Last July, all those sheets were spread out across the oh, entryway, wow. and uh, just amazing to revisit some of that. So, but uh, we we were doing this thing, and and at some point we realized, you know, I was putting out a weekly newsletter uh, that we mailed out. So that right. was done, you know. I would, and I mean, we did the whole nine yards. I had negatives printed. Did we took it to a printer. 
We got it mailed out, and the whole goal was to get it to, you know, cross the country by Friday, Saturday at the latest. Right. And so, but there, but there had to be more because that wasn't going to be enough. So what we figured out was we need to do a fax. And so what we did was a fax as part of that called the Flash Update Fax. Yeah. That was three days a week, Thursday, Friday, and oh, Saturday, wow. I did a fax. Wow. And, and I would get information right from the practice field. Uh-huh. And that was the tricky thing. Nobody could do that at the time. And I had a way to do that. And how I did that was uh, there was a kid who went to the University of Arizona uh, that was friends with some of my <laughs> friends, took media classes and such like. And then he went back home to New York where mm-hmm. he was working at the WFAN radio station as a <laughs> producer. And uh, Whatever happened name, to that guy? <laughs> his name's Steve Cohen. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, now the honcho where we work in Sirius. Yep. And, uh, and so, and what he would do is he would call me every day and say, all right, Harris, you know, so-and-so ran in a straight line, couldn't cut, you know, and we'd have that level of information. I'd cram that all into a one page fax right. for all the teams and wow. send that out. And, you know, the first year it was like, I mean, one of the, uh, I'm surprised I didn't keel over from multiple heart attacks. You know, we had one phone line going out, the faxes are going out one at a time. Someone didn't think their fax was coming in on time, so they would call. It would interrupt oh, no. the whole flow of faxes. Oh, they go God, yeah. You know, and so yeah. we, it, was, it was about a year later we figured out fax broadcasting and things like that. But that was kind of what got the ball rolling for, for me. And, and, and I was just, so, you know, I think like anyone who plays fantasy football, you know how important it is to people who also play fantasy football. Mm-hmm. And I knew that at some point this was going to be the biggest thing on earth right there was right. no doubt in my mind and uh and that was unfortunately about 10 years before it became the biggest thing on earth and, well and and uh and, and there was a turning point right when the yeah. nfl in the in the late you know 96 97 started to catch on that oh they're not gambling they're watching right <laughs> yeah. yeah you know and, well, and we, and we bet left for 30 years but when did you first so before you know, you're playing fantasy football. When did you realize, like you mentioned, and you're so far, well, you said three days a week. I'm, I'm so pissed off at myself right now that I don't, like, where the hell was I? Why wasn't I getting this report three days a week? I could have used it. When did you realize there was a business? What was the first <clears throat> inkling that this was? I mean, you mentioned, was it doing your newsletter and then realizing yeah. the popularity within your league and then saying, hey, a lot of I other people I, would like this. When, you know, when was yeah, that? I, well, I think I, I, my first thing was anyone who plays this game loves this game as much as everyone I know who plays this game loves this game. It was just that, yeah. that connection, that feeling you get playing, this connection you get to the NFL, that opportunity to prove you can make decisions better than the GMs they out can. there and things like that. Right. And so I'm aware. Were you aware this was happening like all across the country yet? Because I mean, late '80s, we weren't the connected community that obviously we all are now. Like it was, you know. I remember I was I found out in like '88, watched my brother-in-law do a league, and then I did a league in '89. So that's the first I had heard, and he had been playing a couple of years as well. So around the same time, but I, I was again, I was a little younger, but I didn't know that this was even played anywhere else. I thought we were at the inside track to something for a while when did you realize it was like more people are playing this thing all over the world uh well so there, there was came a point where usa today there was like a kind of a salary cap contest in there in the early days i think it was run by john zaleski mm. uh um and, and i could see that 
he was putting it in there. And so basically when I decided to start the business, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a uh, classified ad. They had those in the sports section, if you remember, of USA Today. Yeah. Uh, right next to like the TV notes column and that kind of stuff one day a week. And, and so I did that and we were crushed. I put in a, we got an 800 number, had one phone line with call waiting and that thing melted. Right. And I mean, the next year we, we literally had 10 lines and still couldn't answer enough. Right. And so, uh, you know, if I was any kind of businessman at all, this would have gone swimmingly. It just, I was still (laughs) a bit of a screw up and still, you know, and not a great businessman. Look, I'm still not, I don't, you know, I mean, I have great ideas and I'm, reasonably good at creating content i was a really good web designer something that came along so the second year of doing this one of my customers called and said hey man you ever hear of the world wide web <laughs> no tell me more and, and after about three minutes of the talk i stopped him i said so you're telling me i can deliver for the same price as one thing a million things right he said yeah i said that that's it and so i Amen. dove right in and i became a pretty uh uh, handy and innovative web designer back in the day. I, I, in fact, started a web design con- company that was fairly successful, and I was, won many awards. And there are sites out there that you visit today that I designed uh, in this business because one of the things I felt like early on was, you know, you could be, I mean, whatever you wanted to look like, whatever you were able to put out there is how people would perceive you, right, right? right? I mean, I could yeah. look, I could be every bit as impressive as Microsoft in 1996. Right. If I chose to be more impressive, just, you know, more bandwidth, I mean, I, you know, I graphics and things like that. So, uh, and, and I mean, and we got into some of that and I did a lot of design work for other sites at the time. Cause I just felt like, man, if we can make cool. this look like a thing, if right. all of us can look like a thing, right. uh, you know, and, and back in the day, it was like me, it was Jim lens at fantasy insights. It was Samuel Kaplan. It was Mark Nazarek. I mean, there were just a handful of guys doing this uh, back then. And John Hansen jumped in shortly thereafter. Yeah. Uh, and so... Didn't you, you design know, the Fantasy Guru logo, if I'm not mistaken? I did. I designed yeah. that. I designed the uh, Fantasy Insights website. I did the Football Guys, their first website. I did, wow. I did a lot of that. I did a lot of just graphic work, too, uh, in addition to the, to, the, to the website work. So, um, yeah, I was like... And I... And I work damn cheap because I, I felt like I was making an investment in myself basically because I yeah. wanted I wanted it to look like an industry right I wanted it to look like a thing right. uh, and and so I mean I think you know it took a while to get there again we're you know a lot of us were doing this well before we could figure out how to turn it into a thing and I can remember sitting around with David Dodds for endless hours on phones trying to figure out how we could you know you know, steal the porn sites, you know, cash register so we could figure out how to charge money for this. I mean, right. we were busting out JavaScript and, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, making Java applets back in the day. David was amazing at all that kind of thing. And, you know, the calculators and, and we just spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to make all this work and how to monetize it. And, and, you know, and I mean, you know, to some degree did, but mostly just hit that brick wall. And that's where we got to, you know, about 98. And, and uh, I thought I was going to have to stop. I just thought, man, this is it. And, you know, I always have a kind of a joke, joking line that's not really a joke, but I'm just too stupid to quit. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I just don't, I, I, it's hard for me unless, you know, it's, cool. you know, it's funny because I, I'm able to quit things that I know I need to quit, but man, there's some things I'm just not going to quit. I'm just not, I'm going to make it work. 
Right. And uh, and so that's how what led me. I've been working for Emil Cadillac, you know, you know, first I started advertising with him. Uh, he's the publisher uh, and he's my employer now uh, and fantasy sports publications. And he was doing magazines, you know, back in start starting in 80, 89. Um, and so he, you know, he saw me in the USA Today. He's going, I see an advertiser. So, you know, he's calling me and I did advertise and I started contributing to his publications. And, and eventually we got together and I was doing more and more work for him. So when I basically said, man, I, I'm getting kicked out of grandma's house. Right. At 38 to... years old. Yeah. 37 years old. <laughs> it's a proud moment for me, I can yeah. tell you. Uh, and all those around me, of course. Uh -huh. Um, you know, he came and rescued me, brought me to Albuquerque, and uh and uh, I started working just for him. And that's kind of when it turned into a full-time thing. And it's What's obviously, it? you know, grew considerably since then. But look, Emil is an amazing businessman, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. he's taken this Very from good. I mean, right. I mean, he's the guy who created high stakes fantasy football. He was the first guy to create best ball leagues. I mean, he's always been an innovator in this space. And, and so we went from having one magazine to having four magazines. And and then, you know, how many do you have now? Don't you have like 27 or something like 18? No, we still have just the four. And uh, you oh. know, so that, you know, and um, I, that's all I want to do, man. Why do I feel like you have like 18 magazines? Uh, it, why do I feel like we're making 30? <laughs> I don't know. For the same reason, maybe. It's, um, it's, but, 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 it's, Pro Forecast is like the old one that's been around forever, like 30 years of that mm -hmm. magazine. Uh, then the Cheat Sheets came along, then the Draft Book, and then the Football Diehards, when we created that site in the early 2000s. Uh, we kind of added a magazine to go with that, and kind of always the goal all along, and we used the internet to kind of leverage the fact that you know look back then i mean that's not why would you buy a magazine there's an internet right, right. We, go, we know there's an internet and so we kind of turned the internet site into a component of the magazine so basically yeah we get you uh, we give you the baseline of the magazine and then here here right, the part update. of this magazine is a sign up that you get a whole season of good stuff and we still call it to this day the flash update the in-season portion of our service uh, is basically, you know, still based on those uh, initial faxed updates that I sent out. And uh, it's yeah. been quite a quite a it's, long roll. So 98, you start working for email about yep. that. That That's when you guys started your partnership. Yep. I, I want to I hit this topic because I, I'm curious on what you think because I've heard these stories. I know some of them. When I started Scout Fantasy Football back in 04, um, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about it or whatnot, but uh, you did. You got me into one of my first ever sort of industry mock drafts, and I think it was like 05 or 06. I don't remember me and Schuster. I'm like, I made it, man. I'm going to be in this magazine. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. You know, I can't believe it and whatnot. But what I found back in those days, and I'm curious whether you think it's changed or not, the support of this and guys like yourself, and I can't understate it you know in our, our country now i'm a big american history buff and stuff we talk about our forefathers and we talk about people who built this thing and designed it or whatever they never built it and designed it to be a steadfast thing that never changes they just built something out of nothing and i really feel that way about the fantasy sports industry and guys like yourself uh you know rick wolf who i've worked with and peter shank yeah. and john hansen and email and Greg Ambrosius, guys who've been around a long, long time. And yeah, people done things different ways in different places and whatnot. But my God, the, the amount of work that you guys put into this 
to build something in where you were getting nothing out of it at that time. You barely made enough to get by or definitely not enough to justify the time put in. It's quite amazing. Um, and I, I've said it before, uh, off air and on air. I'm so appreciative because without guys like you, I don't have any kind of job. I don't have an opportunity. You know, I, I was a decent broadcaster and whatever and decent writer that I went to school with, but who, who, nobody gives a shit, right? Nobody cares at all if not for you guys creating a form and an industry that uh, I was passionate about. So I'm much appreciative. Do you feel like this generation that is capitalizing, we see the money r- rolling in many different places all over, DFS, gambling starting. Do you feel like this generation, or the second, third generation now, of fantasy industries is appreciative of the ones that built it? Um, kind of a loaded question, I suppose. <laughs> well, I don't think it matters. I mean, look, I, you know, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what the, if they owe or, you know, I mean, look, that, that's how the world works, right? I mean, there's a, there's a, a process, a, a bridge, somebody comes and builds a better bridge, right? And I mean, that's right. what these people are doing. And, and I'm going to just say, you know, and I think Twitter you know, I got on Twitter in 2009. It was kind of a barren wasteland. And you get on Twitter now and it's yeah. a, I mean, well, you know, the, the, the sewer component aside, the, <laughs> you know, and it is, it's the worst place. It's so but bad. It's so bad. That aside, that aside, yeah. there are so many smart people who have gotten into fantasy football, whether it's the analytics types, I mean, lawyers, educators, mm-hmm. uh, doctors, I mean, oh, yeah. you name it. It's right. a, an entire universe of incredibly smart people uh, that, that it, it never ceases to amaze me. So I, I don't know that I look at it like, you know, do they know that I was part of what they did? Because probably they don't. They're, you know, I'm like yeah. going on 60 years old and, and this happened in the early 90s. And, and it's like, I don't even know if it's relevant to what, you know, the game is now and all the things that it's become. So so yeah, I don't I don't really look at it like that. I just look at it like wow, and and I don't even look at it you know for myself like that. I mean, I kind of for, for myself, I'm I'm seeing now there's money and you know there money came along at some point. And you're thinking wow, I might I might break even before I die. Um, <laughs> hey, just, you still got ways to go. Maybe I got a ways to go. Right, ten more years, you got it. Right, so uh, you know, yeah, at least. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't, you know, I, I guess I kind of view things in the moment and, uh, and look, I'm in a great position and in a position that a lot of people aren't. And, you know, it didn't come without effort, hardship, work, persistence, all those things that, you know, come with pretty much everything. But I think everyone has that story, right? I mean, anyone who's doing things, nobody jumps into something and, Mm. and it's immediately a huge success. I mean, I suppose it happens, but I I think that's the exception rather than. Wait, you did say you're on Twitter, right? I mean, you don't see, uh, see, this is where like, I, I really enjoy talking to you because, um, I, you bring the proper perspective on a lot of things. I get very frustrated. Like right. I, I really do. You mentioned, oh, who could blame him? I do. I get like that. I'm not, you know, it's, it's shameful probably, but I, I would be lying to everybody if I didn't say I get, I get upset. Like people that don't, to, you know, discuss or give at least acknowledge those who came before them or those who gave them an opportunity because without it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's a fart in the wind, realistically, and uh, I get, I get, yeah, I get sore about that kind of shit. Right. I, and I, I talked I to Bob Harris, and Bob's not. Bob puts me back in perspective, which is. I mean, I mean we can all sit around and get sore about a lot of things, but I mean, I get to control what me. 
-hmm. That's all I get to control in this universe and how I act towards people, how I view people, how I perceive them, how I treat them. Uh, and whatever they think, perceive, see, understand, treat me is their control. And I don't really get it. So a lot of this goes back to what he talked about running with the crowds we ran with. And I think it's very helpful to this day. And it's something I talk about it. If, if I know how poisonous the snake is, I can deal with it. Right. I don't, you know, and right. so, and people are the same, right. I can deal with just about any kind of person. So, I mean, I'm not saying these people that don't respect me like they should or snake. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I mean, I, I just, I feel like, you know, look, it takes a, an entire array of types of people to make the world go round. And my expectations, I think, I think this is something, you know, me and my friend, our friend, Lisa Ann talk about this all the time. Uh, it's expectation management is the key to happiness, right? right? I have none. So I am always happy. Uh, I don't expect anything from anyone else. And I expect the world of me. And, and so how I treat people and, you know, try and, you know, if I can help somebody get a start, if I can help somebody move ahead, if I can help somebody in any way, I feel like that's what I can control. And I can't control how they see that, how they feel about that, if they care about me. It's just, it's, it's not relevant to anything other than, than my ego. And I'm too old to have one of those anymore. I, I, I guess <laughs> one of the lessons I've learned is, is that ego is one of those things that I can't control that I prefer to control. So that's, it's a tough thing to get around. Um, something I'm not sure how many people, those who know you well enough, like I do know one thing about Bob Harris. He keeps a, uh, I think the first time you ever showed me your old license photo was <laughs> when we were filming a TV pilot up in Minnesota, I believe <laughs> yeah. in like 2014, 15 ish, somewhere around there. I had known you for a while since that, but uh, it was a surprise. Like, well, this is me. And you you still carry it around to this day. Am I not mistaken? You carry it with you everywhere you go, pretty much? Uh, it's, it's, it's probably tagged on my refrigerator right now. So that was like, a, you know, that that isn't even like, there is a picture of me when I got very heavy that yeah. kind of changed the way I deal with life that I, it's, I turn around and it's on my refrigerator door right now. Um, not because it's quarantine time and I might eat extra stuff because it doesn't matter anymore. But, uh, yeah. So one of the things is, you know, I get obsessions with things and I became obsessed with work to the degree where I felt like, uh, taking care of myself, you know, it was past the drugs and, you know, mm -hmm. so I guess this is a, you know, if you were doing the, uh, the TLDR version, it's like, man, Bob Harris has been addicted to something his whole life. Right. And for better or worse. And so, you know, went from the bad things to the good thing in the football, which led to a bad thing. Me just sitting there doing nothing but work every mm -hmm. minute of every day. I talked about designing sites and designing other people's sites and writing my own content and doing everything. Well, that required vast amounts of time. So I would just sit there and eat crap uh, right. while I sat there and did all this work. And all of a sudden on my 46th birthday, uh, in Albuquerque, uh, I was at, uh, I rarely left my, <laughs> my apartment at the time, but I went down to the, uh, leasing office and it was my birthday and someone there took a picture of me. And uh -huh. a couple of weeks later they gave me that picture and I looked at myself and I looked at it. And so I look at my eyes in that photo and you know, you look at the photo, you can see that I'm in just horrible health. I'm next to death. But if you look at the eyes, you would think, wow, he's already dead. He just doesn't know it. Right. And that's what I saw was the eyes. I go, I'm just dead. I just, 
Um, you know, and so I just, again, I decide, right? Right. <laughs> and I just decided, man, I got to come up with a way to not be this guy. And, wow. uh, and that's what I did. I came up with a plan and it took me, I took about a month as I often do to sit down and chart it out and set realistic, but long-term goals. You know, everything to me is kind of like, you know, I'm in prison, right? Of my right. own self-imposed prisons. And so this was going to be in my mind, a five-year sentence. I was going to get to say my high school wrestling weight. It was an arbitrary, you know, choice. So right, right. I was, I, I, and and you know, I say I was four hundred pounds. I don't really know how to scale that max out at three seventy five, um, and it maxed out and it maxed out for a long time after I started the process of losing too. But just I just wow. went out, did some research, said okay, you know, a, a normal human eats about two thousand calories a day, mm-hmm. so I'm going to do that, and I'm going to exercise for an hour a day, and. and and the, the, the thought behind all this was I need something. I don't need to go on. I, I don't need to go on a diet. I need to have a diet. Right. I need to, you know, right. And so it's because everything you do, you try these it's things. The, real. Eat all of this you want and still lose okay. weight. None of that. You know, there's no magic yeah. trick. And it wasn't something that happened overnight for me. You know, I was a, it was a long process of getting to that size and, you know, that level. Of, and, and look, and, and I'm, I talk about it now. I mean, I was ashamed of myself. I didn't want to be seen. And it would, you know, it's just like a, right. uh, and, and being an athletic and a kind of a badass dude as a young man, right. I'm out yeah. with a rough crowd, holding my own. People don't right. want to mess with me. Here I am, this fat tub of goo who can barely stand up and right. without wheezing. So uh, that's kind of what I did. I just set myself a five-year goal and I started weighing all my food and tracking everything that I shoved in my pie hole. Uh, I lived in an apartment at the time. I went down to the exercise room. And I'll be honest with you, when I started, I could do about five minutes on a treadmill. Right. Yeah. But I said, man, this is going to be an hour every day of my life from here on out. And so mm-hmm. I would walk that five minutes and I would sit in a chair in the corner of that workout room for the rest of the hour. And uh, eventually worked my way up. And Well, five becomes six and six becomes right. seven and seven, eight. And I think that's, that's so huge because that's the problem a lot of people face. With, with getting whether it's getting into shape or and I want to go back to the addiction thing because I, you and I have this in common. I am an addict. Like, yes, there's I am. no mistake about it in the world. I'm an addict. I, I'm addicted to, like you said, workaholic. That's an addiction. I've been addicted to drugs. I've been addicted to alcohol. I, I'm now addicted to iced coffee and protein shakes. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it you find things to find ways to harness that and honestly bob you've been a big part of my life especially with uh you know after my my health battle and, and stuff like right. that with getting me on the right track i've looked to you we have very similar personalities in that regard and i every time i you know i was fortunate enough as a, a young person that i kind of lucked into finding a way or finding a new a better path whether it was from drugs to alcohol or from drugs to sports from sports to uh oh, that was alcohol from alcohol to work yeah. and then work became that but starting out it's day one that's the hardest part is when you're whether it's overweight or whether we're stopping whether it's smoking right. or whatever it, like that it, is the heart and you feel like you're going nowhere it's like i haven't accomplished anything what's the difference if i just do it you know four days in you're like all right well you know i gotta eat that whopper with extra cheese or whatever it may be I think that's the hardest part for people is just 
yeah. not realizing that that one minute of exercise or five minutes of exercise or mm-hmm. one day of being clean or sober or off whatever it is, your substance that you need to break away from, whatever the unhealthiness of your life is, relationship even, that first day is important. That second day is even more important. That third day is that much more important. And, and you're accomplishing something amazing in those days. It doesn't feel like it because you can't, you don't have a special chip. You don't have pats on the back for day one, two, three, four, five, six. But you got to understand how important, those are the most important days. Right. Everything, you know, so what we, what we need to learn, and it's hard to learn because we live, you know, I call it the super taco theory of life, right? I mean, mm. we went along and, you know, we were used to waiting for something until Jack in the Box could whip you up a crispy, <laughs> greasy, delightful chunk of melting, gooey goodness in 30 yeah. seconds at three in the morning when you're drunk. Sounds and you could amazing. be enjoying the best thing ever. And <laughs> yeah. once you got that in 30 seconds, you didn't want to wait for anything the rest right. of your life. Right. And, uh, you know, and clearly I'm exaggerating, but I, that's kind of the society we've, we've become is we want the instant gratification. And mm. if you can realize that nothing is instant and everything is a long process, and if you take that process, you start, and then every day you try to make the process better, right? It's right. not just, okay, I created a process. Create a process, make it better. Next day, make it better. Next day, make it better. And always be focused on that and you, you'll end up in a pretty good place. And, you know, and maybe even in my case, you'll be half the man you once were. You'll have met your goals. You'll be exercising an hour and a half every single day and, and exercising hard. You'll be taking care of your health and nutrition, which brings us around to the current situation the world's in. And yeah. it's something I would like to remind everyone. It's easier to stay healthy when you're healthy. Right. And I know not everyone has the same opportunities that I have and has the same ability to, you know, living alone and things like that. I'm, I'm able to avoid a lot of the, you know, the pratfalls and some of the sure. problems that people run into, you know, some of the some of the obstacles to success. So, you know, having people around who will, you know, get you to do things. And right. but that's something I've been good at all along. I mean, once I decide. I just do it, whether it was the drinking, the drugs, the getting into the, you know, focusing and doing football until I was actually doing it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, all the things that you want to do, it, it, the, all these things come with, you know, with just, it's not hard. It's just persistence more than it is like, you know, you know, there's never, I mean, yeah, there's times where we work really hard. Okay, too bad. It's this <laughs> persistence to keep doing it over and over. Everyone works hard. But like what I'm doing now, it's so much better than the other thing I'm qualified to do, which is digging ditches that it's not even, you know, <laughs> it's not even remotely, you know, I mean, the, the effort you put into things is so much worth what you get out in the end. And I think it's hard for us to take that long term view, right? I mean, you know, it it's is. like, you know, you were saving money as a young person. You just don't see that. You can't see past the end of your nose. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's that's a that's a big, big part of of overcoming obstacles, uh, you know, reaching, achieving success. I mean, look, some people, you know, it comes a lot easier than it has for you and me. Um, but for all of us, there's a bit of a process involved and, and the focus should be on the process. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, just not getting taken away or put off by the, the lack of results immediately. And I think going back to fantasy, this is, you know, one of my frustrations is exactly that. I mentioned, asked you the question earlier in the podcast about the industry back in the late 90s and early 2000s when it was growing and it was supportive and all this thing. 
And one of my biggest frustrations now, I think we just kind of hit on it. One of the th- people want everything now. There's, like you said, crazy smart people, way smarter than I could ever hope to be becoming part of our industry and, you know, opening up shops and, and sites and, and different tools. And they, the problem I have is they stop so soon. They get so taken aback. You and I have seen it at Sirius XM. I, I was actually having a talk with the aforementioned Steve Cohen just the other day, just literally you know, 48 hours ago about the same thing and how many great people we've had on our station that just leave because they like, don't make the money they want to make or have the time slot they want to have after the first you know, season or year. Everybody expects to be the superstar or to be rich or famous or whatever, that, or thin or clean or whatever. They expect it right away. It's the same with getting that Whopper or Melty Goodness that you talked about. They, they expect <laughs> on the other side, well, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to live well. I'm going to eat one salad. I'm going to go weigh myself. And then, oh, fuck it. Yeah, I'm, I'm out because, you know, I didn't lose enough pounds or I don't look the way I want to look. And uh, I think that's something that does discourage me because a lot of great people in our space, they get fed up with it because, let's face it, you know, the money, money is a lot better. And for guys like you and me, we're, we're, we feel like billionaires compared to where we were 15 years ago, I'm sure. Sure. Um, you know, but other people expect to come into fantasy do one season of fantasy football, put their stuff out there, be rated in the top five at fantasy pros and say, all right, payday, where's my million? Like, give me it. And, you know, it just doesn't work that way. You got to keep at it. Everybody got to keep it's uh, Jack Del Rio chopping wood, right? It just, yes. Yes. It, it, it is. It is in every single day. You have to make the decision to get up and, and do, you know, do, do this. I mean, it's not like, you know, I don't know. I, I maybe I've, I, I like I've, I'm still in the middle of it. But it, you know, it's not like a lot of jobs you'll have out there where you go to work and you do your eight hours and you go home and you, right. you stop. I mean, it's just it doesn't work like yep. that. And uh, and so there's look. I don't want to you know I don't want to say that you know, look. We've done this for a long time. We've been through the grinder. Maybe we're jaded old guys or whatever. I am. You're you're a clear thinking older guy, which I don't. I, I'm always mesmerized at how you do it. I'm I'm very impressed because I'll tell you guys. I think people know me well enough on the podcast, on the radio show, and I am jilted sometimes, man. I get really pissed off. I, I'll tell you yeah. right now, right now, Bob. I'm telling you, my latest kick right now is something that's pissing me off. Is that I feel a lot of people in our industry. Okay, now I I do work baseball and basketball and do some other sports, not just football necessarily, even though everybody knows my love is football. But I feel a lot of people are taking this quarantine as a vacation. Like there, and there's no, like for you and I, and I know you well, we're we're, we're working. We got magazines to publish, websites to do. We have customers to take care of. We have people that, whether they follow us on Twitter or TikTok, which I highly recommend. Bob, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, this podcast, you know, our radio shows, respectively. Like, there, I've honest, I feel I'm more busy now than I would be without a quarantine, quite honestly. And I see other people like eh, mailing I, it in. I, I feel really honestly. fortunate that I have something to do. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. They get to do whatever the hell they want. I'm going to do what I do. Um, How do you do it? I, I, <laughs> I, I feel, I figure, you know, they're because they're them and I'm me. But they're. Uh. You know, everyone gets to decide what they want to be, Jeff Mans, as you well yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to get past. But I, I do think that this is a 
you know, look, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And I'm just doing the things that I've always done, preparing as if, you know, I'm going to just roll into a season like normal. I think in the back of my mind, even I know that this, you know, there's nothing going to be normal about this season. It's going to be very unusual. And, and, you know, turns out things move really fast according to the last month. Um, And there's five months between now and football. So Lord knows what, uh, what could happen, but I'm working the same way I've always worked, man. You just put the nose to the grindstone and you do the work right every single day. So um, I didn't know there was people out there not doing it. Um, I, <laughs> uh, you know, oh, look, I feel like I'm fortunate. I feel like I'm fortunate that I have my work to do, right? And, and, and maybe it won't be here in three months. I don't know. Uh, I think it will, but I, but I mean, I'm going to enjoy every minute of it just like I always do. Um, or, and by enjoy, I mean, sit here swearing lustily as I ang- get <laughs> angered at every single notification that bounces through my phone. And I mean, you know, I didn't know we could swear on this and I turned yeah. the swear switch off because otherwise, you know, I would be like dropping motherfuckers every <laughs> yes! 30 seconds on this. Thing. Uh, you know how, I, you know I, how I talk when there is not a microphone on. I do. And, and there is like, you know, fuck <laughs> is a hyphen curse. for me. Oh, me too. It's a hyphen for me. And uh, so, um, but, and this, and I just, before we get, you know, get out of here, I got to say the, one of the, one of the greatest moments in all my entire uh, fantasy football time, certainly my time at Sirius was when I first got a show and we came on the Mike Dempsey and I after you, and it was like in the wee hours (laughs) of Thursday night, right? Yeah, and you were working with Ryan. I think Allen. it was Saturday night. It was Saturday, I think. Saturday night. It I think like the Saturday night sometime. And it could we're be. listening, and you dial in, so you hear the show going on before you. And I'm listening to you and Hallam have a discussion about you know doing coke off hookers, <laughs> and and I'm texting Death. I go, is this what they want? <laughs> is this what we're going to be doing? Oh. Uh, uh, that was like uh, that was one of the greatest moments that seared into my memory. Uh, was we, we were? Is that we were your shocked. first? By the way, I've always I, Dempsey has told that story before. I've heard, we've told, talked about it uh, um, in the past, not on air, obviously. I, but, I think I had I had interacted with you either by emails yeah. or whatever, you know, but never like you know. I don't think I'd ever heard you speak right uh, <laughs> up until that point, and. Uh, and that was like one of the first things I ever heard out of your mouth. I'm going, and I'm going, is that an air? Yeah. <laughs> That's the first. So that was your first impre- kind of impression at that point. Yeah. Like I'm talking yes. Coke and hookers and all kinds of weird stuff. And you're like, what, is, what are these two up to? So like uh, we, we were on a long time over the weekends or on the weekends. And then like they would give us all of us, like Dempsey and you and me and whether it was Hallam or Schuster, uh, depending on you know what year it was, um, we'd get uh, thrown a Thursday shift or a Wednesday night or something. Yeah. They'd throw it or whatever, but grinding it out. I mean, um, that was yeah, that was different types of show. Did you guys then get wild, or did you say no, we're not no, going to? No, no, we we stayed we we stayed in our lane, thinking well, certainly people will at least think we talk about football. Um, and, <laughs> and we didn't know any better. We didn't know any better. Uh, no, it was just like, uh, I'm going, wow, this is going to be entertaining and different. And, and so, uh, look, I was not like, I wasn't, and I still don't consider myself radio people, uh, even though I do it seven days a week every season, right? So yeah. 
I just, you know, it's not how I see myself. I don't, I just don't see myself like that. Um, and so it, but it took a little while to get comfortable. I'll say, you know, with, you know, and you know how I, I mean, Oh, your preparation. I, I love it. Uh, yeah. You and I prepare I, like no other. That, right, that's another right. thing we have in common. And uh, I really admire about you is the, the, the amount of preparation, whether you're doing a 15 minute segment or you're doing this podcast, this piece of shit podcast, or you're doing a, a national radio show, like you're putting in the full, and that that's, goes back to our sort of the, the weight loss and drug addictions and stuff like you, you got to go all the way no matter what you're doing. And I've always admired that because you put in max effort regardless of what you're doing. Were you, was radio a goal of yours ever? Or when did you first? I like? I, so I don't know that it really was. I started, you know, I, I, there was a point where I was doing stuff for football guys and mm -hmm. David Dodds was doing an appearance on a show in Jacksonville and uh, every week and he couldn't make it one day. And I went on and it was Dempsey's show, Mike Dempsey's oh, wow. show yeah. on 1010 XL. And, uh, and right away he said, you know, he called me after he goes, man, is there any way they could just keep you coming on? And, and you know, and Do you know, granted Dawes wasn't that comfortable. So I talked to him because yeah, you can keep doing it. And, you know? And right. so I kept doing it and Dempsey and I have, you know, got along. He knows he's, you know, a total, totally i mean he's a yeah. fantasy mind beyond i mean people think of him as a radio host he is a great fantasy mind uh and we just hit it off and it's funny how how things come around you know i had been i had done this stuff with cohen early on and and uh hadn't had much contact with him well he was looking for a host for maurice jones drew's show right uh and he was listening to content from jacksonville radio stations because he wanted a host there who could work with mjd and he heard one of the my appearances on Dempsey show and that kind of was the catalyst that brought it all back around so uh, so so yeah so it was like you know me and Dempsey and we Dempsey and I talked about this all the time we would love we'd love to do a show man just a, our own show where we could do this and then once Cohen got a hold of me after he had heard that I kind of started you know badgering him a little bit and by right. badgering him a little bit I mean you know I finally <laughs> tracked him down at the Super Bowl in Dallas uh what, 2000 early 2000 what, 2009 and I got him down and gave him the business. And, uh, and by that, I mean, literally headlock, you know, yeah. river of <laughs> here, you know, uh, and we had that discussion and kind of got the ball rolling, but, but that was kind of how it started. And it was a, it was a great thing for me and Dempsey as we had, you know, we, we were even thinking like, man, maybe we just were like record and, and make a CD that we send out to national, you know, to stations, right. you know, at the end of each week, just, uh, you know, for, for them to have some content. And it, and it ended up, you know, we did the same thing on Sirius instead. And, and it's been great ever since we, you know, started out, you know, like everybody there, you get a middle of the night on some unknown night and nobody hears you until you get good enough to get a better time. And then you get better times. And, right. And that's kind of how it's gone. And I've been grateful for every minute of that. And, you know, I mean, all good things come to an end. You hope it never does. But, man, I have enjoyed my time doing serious as much as I've enjoyed anything. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, you're good at it, obviously. It, it's funny. There's another story. I'll tell this story to people who are serious. Like them. It's, a, it's a good one. I was at Fantasy Alarm uh, back in the day, and we were doing nights and weekends or whatever. And I remember I was like, prom I was sort of, Wink, 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 not just promised a, uh, a daytime show. I was doing it in the midnights at that time, and they were going to move us up or whatever. And for the football season, they were going to move us up and all this stuff. 
and it like a whole thing came down and lo and behold, we didn't get it. The football diehards got it. And it was that one moment where I was like crushed because I, I was sure of it. It was kind kind of promised, but nothing's ever, you know, better to, to do that. But I had to say at the time, I'm like, God damn it. Like, cause I didn't want it to be you. And I didn't know you guys. I, I had no idea who we were up against. I actually thought, I can't remember other, other shows. There's another show I thought we were up against. Was that, I think it was Nathan Zagura's spot, right? That, that you end up. Yeah. Remember? Yep. That and was, you guys exactly got it. Was. And I'm like, motherfucker, because you guys serve it. You're great show. One of, uh, oh, I'll say I, I respect everybody, but I actually listen to you guys whenever I possibly can, whether it's on the app or, or whatever. But that was one of those moments where it was like, it was crushing for me and a career level but i was very happy and i realized okay this is good for the channel it's good for the whole thing um and i realized i would rather be part of a good channel with great programming than to be the the top or towards the top of a heaping you know pile of crap you know with bad programming <laughs> stuff like that so uh uh yeah you get you guys beat us out for that spot and i remember that that moment i was like oh shit that was uh, it was devastating yet satisfying at the same time. It was a weird little time, and like you said, got me back to work harder. What did I do? I went back to midnights, just grind it, just kept going, kept moving forward every single day, and uh, you know, eventually it paid off. And now I'm here. We're, we're both afternoon people. Got well, I, yeah. I think I think the thing is, it's you know, I mean, it's competitive, it's serious, but I mean, everyone you know kind of understands what the overall goal is. Matt Deutsch, our program director is looking to move the needle every fucking minute of every fucking day, right? Yeah. That's his that's his job and and nobody does it like him. And right. he is, you know, you talk about I talk about get a process and then make it better. Matt Deutsch is always looking for ways to, you know, add a wrinkle, make something a little better. And uh and so that keeps us all on our toes and keeps us all battling for our times and and our, you know, the amount of time we're on the air and all those things. And we've been fortunate. You and I both have been. And, you know, I think it's a, one of the one of my favorite things is uh, the Sunday morning pregame show. Is, yes. Is, is just, I mean, I, I would do it if nobody listened. I would do it if it was just you and me sitting around talking for two hours. And um, I just enjoy it so much. Aren't we sure? Are we sure people are listening? I'm not even sure. If they uh, no, are. I have no I'm idea. Never, anyone's listening. Well, according to Twitter, the, some of them hear oh, what that's you true. say. And they don't much care for it. <laughs> I mean, nobody cares for most of the shit that I'm saying. I know that for sure. <laughs> the, uh, the Sunday morning show is really good. And it, it's been a pleasure being partners with you over the last couple of years on that show. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of moving pieces that we have to correlate. And if people really do, that's why, you know, all the work that goes into it. I mean, Bob does a master list of everything we're going to talk about in that first segment. I add in any missing pieces that I see in that day. We've got weather. We've got simulcast on NFL Network. We've got the inactives that we're always at the mercy of. We've got beat writers. We're not just at the mercy of, well, are they going to feel like showing up or not? Or there's also technical issues and the producers. Man, that show's fun, but it keeps us on our toes. Uh, that is for sure. Well, Bob, we've covered a lot of ground. I suppose give the folks uh, who's your favorite prospect going into the NFL draft from fans. Who are I don't you? like any. I don't like any of them. Uh, no, I all. I'll, I'm doing my team thing. Um, I, I mean, it's hard not to like some of the early bats. I, you know, I'm playing in a lot of 
uh, Superflex Dynasty, so it's easy to become quarterback centric in my focus. Mm-hmm. And who's your uh, quarterback? Mm-hmm. Who's your guy? Uh, you know, it's Burrow, I guess. I mean, yeah. Burrow or two, I'd be fine with either. But I think beyond that, I like uh, I like Jerry Judy. I mean, I like everyone who everyone else likes. I like Jonathan Taylor mostly because he came on the Football Diehards program and killed <laughs> it. And guys who come on our program tend to fare extremely well in the NFL. Uh, rock on Cortland Sutton and many others. Uh, we'll not get into all of them because it's a lengthy list, but, <laughs> but no, I, I, I like, I, I think Taylor is going to be a hell of a player uh, and, you know, regardless of landing spot almost. And I think that's what you're looking for, you know, from an, an initial season long perspective. I know there's, you know, we all kind of tend to gravitate towards the running backs as rookies because you're thinking they're going to get that opportunity. Um, but the, the receiving core is deep this year. And yeah, I think any number of them, uh, could be very successful. I've gone heavy on receivers in the dynasty rookie drafts. I've been into this point. And yes, I do dynasty rookie drafts before the draft because yeah. I play with degenerates. How many leagues are you in, by the way? Uh, so- <laughs> like all, all told, by the end of, by the beginning of September, how many be, leagues will you have to be, keep track it'll of? It'll be at least, at least 25. Wow. Um, oh, not counting best ball? Not counting best ball. Okay. Uh, best yeah. ball, I don't count because twenty-five and, managed leagues, everybody. That's twenty-five managed leagues, which I manage at least twenty of them extremely poorly. Right? I mean, I'm, it just <laughs> yes. that's just how it is. I do it the best out. I can. I'm not the first guy in line on waiver time because I have a yep. big writing assignment that's due on waiver start. But there are yep. certain leagues where I focus a lot of attention. One of them, I'll just shout out now, is called the DFB Invitational. It's that two quarterback league, super flex league. I was talking about Scott Barrett put it together yeah. uh and it's got some big wheels in it it's a tough competition uh jeff collins davis maddox some of the dfs guys you know some guys like matthew barry evan silva pat thorman uh rich rebar i mean you know i could read off the whole list yeah. dj Kalmbach, danny kelly i mean this is a grant barfield the returning champion this year who beat matthew barry in one of the most incredibly Ooh. brutal beatdowns in a championship game I did a pod with Barry yesterday and we were talking about it. I mean, it's just, but it's a really fun league. The dynasty trades, uh, uh, guys, uh, their podcast, they're in it. And it's just a, a fun league, very competitive, lots of wheeling and dealing. And, and that's a good time. So there are leagues that I focus a little more on. There are leagues for all our magazines, multiple leagues that we run for all our magazines. And right. look, I want to do good. Mike Clay has a great league. I'm in called that he called the going deep league where it's like really huge lineups and I mean, very shallow benches. And, and I like it's that. that same kind of crew where you're sitting there battling the JJ Zacharyasons, yeah. Jeff Ratcliffe's of the world. And you're just going, man, uh, you know, so there are some where I do, you know, it's almost, you know, you're looking at the level of competition. It becomes a point of pride because you don't want to look like a total schmuck when you're mm-hmm. playing with some of the smartest minds in fantasy football and you're not actually one of them. So you work a <laughs> little bit harder. Uh, to keep up with the kids. You fake it pretty well, Bob. We'll give you that. Uh, By the way, I just throw my guy at at you. And it's unfortunate because, man, I was so looking forward to Vegas and the NFL draft going back. I didn't get to join you guys in Nashville last year, but we've had some great broadcasts. You, myself, Mike Dempsey, the guru, John Hanson, and that. So I'm going to miss that for sure uh, during this quarantine time, but Cam Akers of Florida state, man. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely licking my chops at where he goes. If he goes the right spot, it, even if he doesn't, he is going to be so much better 
pro running back than he was at Florida State in that hot mess. That uh, I'm very – he's a true three-down back in every sense. Yeah, I think – yeah, I, I, I look, I like pretty much all the running backs I think are, are pretty suitable. Did you get him in that first mock draft? Uh, I did. Um, no, no, I took, uh, I didn't see on that one. It was, you know, I didn't take as many, uh, prospects because you guys were taking them so fast. So the only guy I got was Michael Pittman jr. In like the last round, which I was pretty happy about. I ended up, that was the, the mock draft. I took Antonio Brown as a flyer. Right. And then like five days later, he was officially charged with like four counts <laughs> of, of uh, something. So there would be a, even if he does, does come back. Will he play, by the way? What, what percentage would you say Antonio Brown is in the NFL in 2020? I would say I'm sure that he won't be in the NFL in 2020 as I was Tom Brady would remain a Patriot. So there's that. <laughs> I did too. Um, <laughs> I mean, it made the most sense. But honestly, I mean, I get why he's moved on. And, and, uh, and I, you know, look, I understand the, some of the dynamics that work there. In Brown's case, there's a lot working against him, not the least of which is Antonio Brown. Who works harder than anyone alive to to to, to ostracize and and put himself you know yeah. to shut himself out of the loop right and I mean you know it's just it's funny because we've talked to people who had covered him in Pittsburgh who will tell you and I mean I've had guys come on the air and tell me stories that I'm shocked we never heard before uh, you know and that includes like you know Will Grace from the Associated Press AP writers aren't necessarily out there telling right. you horror stories about guys they've covered. But, you know, I mean, he's one of the guys that really just said, I, when I when he went to New England, I said, is he going to come around? Is he going to pour the Patriot way? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I don't know that he wasn't. I maybe didn't get the chance. But, you know, you talk to guys, Dale Lawley from DK Sports, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Sports right now, uh, who was his co-host of the Antonio Brown radio show. And, I mean, he, he, he just, there was, yeah, he knows. I mean, you listen to these guys now and, and you can see they have absolutely no expectation that he will ever change. And if he doesn't change, he's not going to play football. Yep. And uh, there'll be likely be a suspension of some kind, even if he does sign. So like week one, two, three, four, who knows if uh, he gets a second chance, he'll have to wait it out most likely due to these charges for Antonio Brown. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, Bob Harris, um, what else? What, what's your anything else you're doing during this quarantine that uh, is different than your day to day, or is this just business as usual for you? I've uh, added a little bit of additional exercise. Okay, <laughs> I, I get up like every morning and do about an hour. But I've added a, a walk at the, in the afternoon. Kind of uh, just seems like nice to get out and breathe a little fresh air. I don't know if that's just because I'm quarantined and and do you feel like you need some extra fresh air or whatever. Um, but I'm just getting a little extra fresh air. That's about the only change I've really made. Uh, uh, I have not uh, done anything different with the cats, and that's pretty much the only other thing here. Uh, I would like mm -hmm. to take a moment to wake up everybody who has managed to listen to me drone on endlessly throughout this entire thing. Wake up, God damn it. It's almost <laughs> done. <laughs> We're almost done. They're used to falling asleep with my nasally drone anyway. It, it won't matter. Remember, folks, you can follow Bob Harris at Football Diehard on the Twitter machine, footballdiehards.com. Everything you need in this universe works re just relentlessly every day, keeping sight, the news, everything updated, and the, uh, what, four magazines? You guys are publishing yeah. four magazines this year. Yeah, well, you know, we'll see how that plays out. You know, some of that's going to depend on how things play out, right? We're looking for a little certainty 
And so there will be magazines, though, I can assure you that. There will be, and uh, found at all the retailers uh, all across the country. We'll get Bob Harris back on the podcast, I'm sure, as we uh, get closer to the start of the NFL season in 2020. want to thank him for joining us, folks. Episode 11 is in the books. Remember, you may disagree, and if you do, that's okay, because it's one man's opinion. We'll see you next time, everybody. 